Hello and welcome to another bonus episode of Business Meets Spirituality. This week, Adam talks about the importance of knowing how you think about money, the difference between being wealthy and being rich, and how to determine your freedom number. After you listen to this episode, take some time to journal about what money means to you and discuss beliefs around money with a partner, family member, or friend. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the show. We had Melissa Bernstein on our Project You Call, and somebody asked her about her balance between work and, and her personal life because she has four kids, and this individual had kids as well too. And one of the things she said was, was really fascinating. She said that uh, leadership obviously just goes and extends beyond your employees and your business. Obviously, they built a $500 million company uh, for kids' toys and are continuing to thrive. But one of the things that she said was that she she really tries to disprove this this uh, meaning of work as work, and that and she whatever time she sits down with her kids and if she's doing something, maybe it's in the evenings, maybe it's on a Saturday, maybe it's during the day, that she explains to her how much meaning work is for her and what it means and that work really isn't work. And so I thought that was great. It was a great leadership lesson from uh, from May about how we can really educate our kids. Our, our siblings, our partners, just how much this means to us. Because probably like you, I don't feel like I ever work a day in my life. Now, hold on. There's some days that feel like I'm actually working, but the majority of the time it feels um, uh, that you're just playing and our playing is business. And so I've been really trying to take that conversation to the next level with our kids. Uh, basically the other day on Saturday, I had to get on a, a Zoom call for a group and my son was there and he's like, you have to work. And I'm like, I get to work and I'm super excited. It means a lot to me. This is an awesome conversation. I want you to sit in on me. He goes, okay, great. He listened for about 30 seconds and then kind of listened some more, but sat on my lap the entire time that we had the conversation. But it changed his perspective instantaneously about that, about what that really meant and what that was about and about what work was. And so we got to be careful, by the way, as leaders, as to how we're influencing work around our employees, around our family, around our kids. When we say, oh, I got to go to work, we're, 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 we're reinforcing that belief that work is hard. Like it's like this hard thing. I understand there's challenges, but we've got to reinforce that work has a tremendous amount of, of, of meaning, a tremendous amount of joy, tremendous amount of impact that you can have and explaining that to everybody as well. Okay. Most people haven't paused long enough to actually think through why they have the, what, why they believe the way they believe about money right? And money is one of those things that we all agree that the dollar has a value. If we all agreed collectively, it's all, so money is actually built on this trust system. It's just the funniest thing. If we all started believing tomorrow that, you know, rulers were worth something, then rulers would be worth it. It's like the whole crypto conversation now is, is there enough buy-in that people are buying into using crypto as a currency, right? And that's why you're seeing it fluctuate so much. The dollar money is the same thing. So when we think about money, it's about dollar. We have a currency and we all buy into this trust system that the money is going to hold its value and what it is. Um, if tomorrow we went to crypto, US dollars would be worth nothing. That would ch it would change. That's why there's so much conversation about crypto right now in those different things. So we just inherently have this trust system about money, but then we start developing our own beliefs based on how people, um, how we experienced money in our lives particularly how we were trained to think about money. 
And so regardless of where your beliefs are with money, what I want you to do is do some self-inquiry here and think about what did your parents teach you about money, right? What is it about money that you started believing at an early age that you're holding on to, right? What were you really taught about money? Because these are these inherited beliefs, which we have just developed as our own. And that's what we think money is. Well, money means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. There's some people who think money is everything and they just are mercenaries that way. There's some people who renounce, renounce money and push it away. Um, by the way, going after money and renouncing money is the same exact energy in itself. And then there are people who, you know, who don't care about money. And you, you know those individuals. I mean, my mom is somebody like that. Actually, my wife is very similar to that. She could care less about money. Uh, my mom's the most unassuming person too. And I know you guys know people. I'm just giving examples from my life where my mom's super happy on X number of dollars, very minimal. She loves to impact differently. She, one thing she can do that I can't is play with my kids for eight hours straight. Like it's amazing that she can literally sit there and be so focused on our kids for eight hours for 10 hours at a time, day in and day out, and just get so much joy from it. Now I get it, we all get joy from doing certain things with our kids and that we love our kids the same. We all just have these different natures to us. There's some people that just don't care anything about money. So when you stop and, for me, I stopped and, and started asking the deeper questions and go, well, where did I inherit these beliefs about money? And what are my beliefs about money? Is money good, is it bad, is it a tool, right? How do you talk? Because how you think about money is how it shows up in your life. That's what you, that's what you teach other people. That's how you project it. I understand the mechanics of money and I understand the importance of having it to be able to, you know, have housing and, and food and shelter, and all those things. I'm talking beyond that, that amount, right? How do we think about it? Do we believe that money is going to bring us some level of joy? Well, we at some level, understand that's about $75,000 in household income, your joy or happiness factor, whatever word you want to use there, increases like 0.1% after that. But there's so much that goes into this in terms of our beliefs about money in itself. And so just really think about what are your rooted beliefs beyond just your intellectual understanding of money, you know, in your checkbook and your bank account, what are your beliefs? Then what, the, what I want you to do is either with a friend, with your family, with a partner, get together and kind of share your beliefs. One of the, the biggest conflicts that I see in relationships, business relationships and in personal relationships is different people's viewpoints about money and what, how they think about it, how they use money, what that is. And it's these, these systemic beliefs that we just didn't even understand that we were carrying. And so let's bring up the ignorance of just ignoring our own beliefs. That's what ignorance is, is just trying to ignore something that is deep seated. So that's what I want to do when we, how you think about money, you, somebody taught you how to think about money. Now, what I want you to do is make sure that we've uncovered our beliefs about money and make sure that we're really pushing that forward. And so that becomes a very, very powerful thing to be able to do um, is how we actually view and think about money. And so what were we taught about it? What needs to change? Let's bring that to the surface so that we can actually have open conversations. You know, if you're, if you're talking about money in a negative way or how you don't have any money or how you need money or how you need this, then your kids, your, your employees, your partners, they're taking that in from Amosis because they're listening to you. So we have to be very careful about how we are expressing our energy around money, our, which is just energy is the way we talk about it. And it's because of how we think about it. And again, so it is abundance mindset, there's scarcity mindset, that's, that's all part of it, but there's a current that's below that. So that's the starting position for, for the introductory to money is 
how do you think about money? I mean, when's the last time you actually stopped and journaled for a little while to think about your own beliefs? And so the, the fundamental one though, is that you're, no matter how much money you have, you're not going to feel any different than how you feel inside right now. In fact, if you look back in your life 10 years ago, you probably are making more money now. Do you feel any different? You may have different things. You may have more experiences, but do you actually feel any different inside? The answer is no, you don't. If you're really honest, you don't. There's nothing wrong with money, by the way. We're going to talk about that. However, just don't ever think that getting or arriving at some point in the future at some destined amount of money is going to give you a certain feeling. Yes, there are wonderful things you can do with money. There's wonderful ways to contribute it. There's wonderful things you can do to, to help family members out. Those are awesome. But they're, even doing those things will temporarily raise your happiness factor. And that I agree with. But the core relationship you have with yourself is not going to change given the amount of money that you have in your life. So understand um, that's, that's what money is. And I just, just understand where your thinking is around money. The second component to this is I want to talk about what your freedom number is, because if we don't understand what um, what even freedom means to us, freedom does not mean retirement. I try to throw that word out there because people think of retirement like you stop doing something. Well, that's boring. At least for me, I think that would be very boring. You know, what you really are looking for is my freedom number, which is why I've dubbed it that way, which is I can do kind of what I want to do when I want to do it. And to relatively speaking, you may not be buying helicopters every day, but you can, you can travel, you can, you can not travel, you can, you know, spend money on your garden or pool, whatever those things you are, you have some freedom in your life to do these different things. That's wonderful. But understand what that number is, because a lot of people have this untold amount of money that they need in their life. I need $20 million. I need a billion dollars. I need $4 million. And one of the most powerful stories that I can share with you personally is I met with the wealthiest person in Vermont, probably 10 years ago or so. And actually we've rekindled our relationship recently. And I reminded him of this conversation. I met with him and, and, you know, of course I'm, you know, 10 years younger and just ready to take out in the world basically. And, uh, he's like, uh, he, he's like, so what are your goals with me? I'm going to be a billionaire. And I just, I'm, you know, just kind of puking this over him. And he looked at me and he's like, why do you want to be a billionaire? And I, I'm sure I had some perfect answer that sounded good, but he saw right through that. And, and so he stopped me and he said, you know, let me tell you a story. He's like, I was just down at a, at a, at a, um, it, Warren Buffett was holding a, basically a philanthropy event and for about a hundred different billionaires. And this was 10 years ago. So there's a number of billionaires are different. And he said, you know, let me tell you something about this. He said, there was about a hundred people in the room. They're all billionaires. They all added massive value in the world. They, uh, they had their names on hospitals. They created cures for diseases. They created technology that has serviced the world. All of these things. They own massive real estate to help people in housing, all of these things. And he said, you know what? He said 97 out of hundred, 97% of them were absolutely miserable. And he caught me off guard. And I said, what would you say? And he goes, yeah, they're absolutely miserable. He goes, Warren's not. And he's not either, by the way, he actually worked really hard to get off the fortune 400 list. <laughs> and he happened to just, he built a company and it happened to go public and he happened to be really wealthy. And he still lives so modestly today. It's crazy. Um, but anyways, he got very clear that none of that was going to make him happy. And actually more recently I asked him, I said, how do you deal with wealth with your family? And he said, I don't know if I did it perfectly, but what I did is I really brought my family into understanding what money is. And I really worked with them about money. It wasn't, we have money. It was, we don't have money. It was like, what can money do? How can we, what's our relationship with it? And just being very open and conversational about it and communicative about it and bringing them into their life and, and philanthropy to kind of work together in there, but understanding your number. And so when he said that to me, I was like, yes, that's, and I never really kind of lost sight of that is because 
all of these people, and we went on to say is that these people just always need more. There's never a goalpost that they can hit because it's always something more to do. And in this world, there's always more to make. There's always more to contribute to. There's always more value to add. There's always more things to do. And that's fine if you do those things, but they were doing it to try to make themselves feel better. They're playing this game that they realized I needed to continue to get this high of making more money or winning. So I need to go out there and do more. And they just, they were just miserable. They didn't, they, that's all he literally said. And I never forgot that. And so I kind of look at this as like, we have to know our own financial freedom number. And what is that number for you? That could be $75,000 a year in passive income. That could be if you're, you know, Mr. Money Mustache, right? He's, you know, we lived on 30, he lived on $30,000 a year. And he's like, my life was extremely happy and I loved it. And he's got more money now, but he's like, we really don't, I base all my decisions based on joy versus just because I can. For instance, he's like, I don't own a car. I could go buy any car I wanted in cash, but I get more joy driving my bicycle. So I'm just going to drive, I'm just going to ride my bicycle. And so he's, he's obviously a big proponent of, you know, living below your means, different things, but understanding what your financial number is will help you understand these other components. You probably just don't, haven't thought about it. Is there a certain amount of money that you need to coming in, passive income coming in? Is there a certain amount of portfolio value that you need in order to hit and then determine your number? I'm going to help you today to kind of determine that. And we'll get to determining in a second. The other thing to think about is what I see most of us doing, including myself at one point in my life is as our income increases, our expectations for what we get out of life with our income increases just as much as our incomes do. So what I mean by that is our expectations of what we can buy in life increase as our, inc as our income increases. So all of a sudden you've been happy before taking a vacation, doing camping, it costs you $500. Your income increases. So now you, you feel like you need to be happy by taking a larger vacation, which costs $10,000. But really, yes, and I'm not saying don't go take it. I'm just saying you've now increased your expectation for what you want out of life based on your income increasing. Therefore, there isn't actually a gap to make you actually feel wealthier. Wealthy, wealthiness is a state of mind. And so that's why you keep chasing because you keep increasing your expectations for what you can buy. And while you're doing that, your income continues to increase instead of it being a gap. So for instance, a great rule of thumb could be if your income increases $100,000 over X period of time, where you decide, fill in the numbers, maybe your income for expectations for what you can buy increases 20%. So now you have an 80% delta that you're taking money off the table or there's a there's an increase in there from how much your money versus your, your expectation of life. That's actually wealth. <laughs> that is the wealth part. And that's, that's the gap that most people miss. That's why people never feel wealthy regardless of how high their income is because they've just raised their expectations. The way you could say is they've raised their living standards and really expectations are the cause of all suffering for these things. And so then we are like, we've got to maintain this. We got to do this. We got to do that. Now, if you can afford a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, that's awesome. And you know, the difference, <laughs> the person that's leasing the Lambo for three grand a month or the person that paid for it in cash is a fraction of their net worth because they love cars. They drive it differently. They're not posting photos on their social media about their car and how awesome they look in it. They're private, you know, they're traveling privately. They're posting photos on this thing. They're not people that are really wealthy. Don't post photos of the toys that they have. Most of them don't 99% of them don't the ones that are doing it that way. The ones that are doing it to try to prove to themselves that they feel better about it. That's the increasing of your expectations. So just be very careful that you don't increase your lifestyle and expectations as your income grows. It should be a percentage of this. So again, figure out 10, 20, 
40%, 50%, what is that number, right? And that's fine. If you want to go 100% all in, that's great. Just understand why you're doing what you're doing. Are you increasing your lifestyle just because you can? Or are you increasing it because you feel that you need to keep up with something? That you need that if you have ever got to have this vacation, then it's going to be amazing. And, I, and probably the vacation probably awesome. But I'm telling you, you don't feel any different. Some of the best vacations I've had have been ones that have cost $1,000 or less. And I've had wonderful vacations that have been expensive too. So it, it, my point is either one of those scenarios, you're still going to feel the same. But if you have the money to go on the, the nicer vacation, that's great too. If you have the money to do those things, as long as it's not all of your money or as long as it's not all of your increasing of your expectations, just got to be careful about this. Is Are we increasing our expectations just because our income increases? And if make sure we, we get a model down for what that looks like. Okay, rich versus wealth. Being rich is what people see. It's your cars, your houses, your Lambos, your, you know, your clothing, your whatever it is, all the material things that you can do, right? That's what rich is. Rich means that rich is, is typically, as I kind of defining it here in this context, rich is things that you've spent money on, right? Wealth, by the way, is what you don't see. Wealth is what you don't see. So wealth is people's bank accounts. Wealth is somebody's IRA accounts. Wealth is somebody's stock portfolio. Wealth is the, the crude equity that they have in their property holdings. Wealth is, you know, a business bank account. Wealth is what you don't see. Rich is what you see because it's already spent money. You know, that's why I was kind of going back for wealthy aren't going around posting their IRA balances on social media because they don't need to because they already feel wealthy. They already are wealthy because they have their spending in check. They have freedom and they have this big gap of how much money they have versus what they're spending. So there isn't this pressure on their, on their businesses to perform, to keep up with the lifestyle. Therefore, they don't feel the need to do that. So, you know, Ronald Reed, he's a great example of this. He was a janitor his entire life. And maybe people have heard of him. He just happens to actually be from Vermont, <laughs> which is really cool. And um, she didn't know that until a couple of weeks ago when we were putting these presentations together is that he's actually from Vermont, but he he was in New York times. There was this big article. Anyways, he was, he was a janitor, never made more than $50,000 ever in a, any given year, never made more than $50,000 in any given year. And you can imagine he, he died when he was like in his early nineties. When he first started out, he's probably making like $5,000 a year, $10,000 a year. Anyways, what he, what he did was he was very, very good at saving. And when he died, he ended up having an $8 million estate. And people were floored by the fact that he had $8 million net worth in cash, right? In liquidity, in stocks. And he donated $6 million of that, by the way, to local communities in Vermont, which is awesome. But what, the best part about the story is nobody saw his wealth. People were just like, how did he get $8 million? We don't understand. Because he, never in, he didn't increase his expectations more than his what he was making. And so he, he did a really good job of spending money on assets. <laughs> Remember, you can spend your money. You spend your money on things or you can spend your money on investments. You can still spend it. It's just a way of thinking about it differently. So either way, you actually spend your money. But that's rich. Rich means that money that's spent. Wealth is what you don't see. But you know who really knows this is you. You know how much wealth you have. You can't, you can't hide from that. 
And, and when you know you have wealth, you operate differently. You operate differently in business. When you know you've got millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands or, or thousands of dollars, depending on the size of your business, sitting in your accounts, you operate differently. There isn't fear. There isn't this same, this, there isn't a pressure that you need your business to produce a certain cash flow to support your lifestyle. That, by the way, causes so much stress in your life, just suffering. We don't need it. So just understand what the difference between rich and wealth is, right? So the 4% rule, this is, I told you before, we helped determine kind of what your, what your number is. The 4% rule essentially says this, that if you have a portfolio, let's say the portfolio is worth, you have a million dollar portfolio, IRAs, retirement accounts, whatever that is in there. And you can take 4% of your portfolio conservatively and 99.9% .9 of the time, when you start taking 4% of your portfolio, the portfolio will last you until you die. So that's, that's where that 4%, very conservative, ultra conservative. So basically a million dollars, you could take $40,000 off the top every year and 99% in and of the time, it will carry you through until you die. Now, What's fascinating is five and 6%, 5%, I think it's like 87% of the time, 6%, it's like in the 70% of the time. So it doesn't mean you have to stay at 4%. But if you're like, I need $60,000 a year that I can take out of my portfolio, you have a million dollars in the bank, that's $60,000. Three quarters of the time, that'll last you the rest of your life, right? That's just, that's those are the numbers that people put together for it. If you want to use a very conservative rule, again, you can use the 4% one because that 4% one, um, will we'll almost, again, 99% of the time it'll last there. Now that's one way of looking at portfolio. The other way, and this is all about determining your freedom number. The other way to look at this is, you know, how much debt do I have? Can I pay off my debt during this? Can I get focused over a period of time to, um, to pay off my debt? Can I, what about my retirement account? Like my social security is any money coming in from that? You know, how much can I factor for there? Should I go out and buy some real estate and pay that off? So I have cash flow coming in. Um, you know, what is it? The number is it 50, 100, 200, 300 million, right? Whatever that number is that you need coming in every year, then you can just start working backwards. But if you're really, really conservative rule is that 4% rule um, for what you have. So here's some action to take. Number one, I want you to sit down with somebody, your partner, your family, business relative, whoever that is, right? And, and talk about your belief about money. Just have the conversation. There's no right, there's no wrong. Remember, you walk into the conversation not trying to be right, but trying to either find solutions or just to strengthen your own methods and models of how you view money. What does money mean to you? You may need to journal about this. You may need to spend some time with it, but what does money really mean to you? And so once you start to do this, you start to understand what your freedom number looks like because then you can work backwards. And I, I'd say the number that you, first of all, you start determining what, what money is and your unconscious beliefs about this. And for most people, it's if I get more, I'm gonna feel better. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, once you get past a certain number, and, and I'm not the, look, I'm not by far the first person to tell you this. Once you hit past a certain number, there is, and just look in your own life, please. You don't have to go any further than that. Do you really feel that much different having the things that you do that you spent the money on? I understand they're cool and they're fun to do and they're, they're great, but do you really feel any different, right? No, right? Like we're in the process of building a new house and I've been in a, I've been in a secondary kind of home for two years and I, I've, I constantly look at my wife and I go, yes, we're building this wonderful house over here, but you understand that we're not going to feel any different. We have a little above ground pool that we put up on our deck for our kids. And I said, our kids are still swimming. <laughs> it's not the swimming pool that we're building, but is it really going to change that much? Not really. We can still drive to the beach. 
So we're just very clear that we like to do these things, they're fun, but they're not gonna change the way we feel inside about any of that. So that's your first conversation around money. Then determine what your freedom number is, do the math. You can use the 4% rule, you can use five or 6%, or you can just use some sort of passive income number. Once you understand that, because it's important to understand what that looks like, then if it's like, hey, I wanna use, I want passive income of $100,000 a year, you most likely probably are not gonna build up, you know, 10, $5 million in cash in a certain period of time. So it may be easier to go out there and buy real estate. So no, once you determine what that number looks like, and, and again, you can use a passive income number, and then you, what vehicle are you gonna get there? Maybe it's putting money aside. Maybe it's now going to buy real estate. Maybe it's investing into REITs. Maybe it's another opportunity to do something. Maybe it's investing into a business, depends on your age, what your vehicle you know, of choice is going to be. Then what I want you to do is figure out how quickly you're gonna get there because this is gonna keep you spending money on the wise assets versus spending money to spend money because you have money to spend. And you all know that if there's money in your bank account, you're gonna spend money more lavishly than there's not. So if you're every month you're, you're spending money on assets and you don't have that much left over because you spend it on assets, you're not gonna go out there and buy things that catch you off guard, right? And then what I would encourage you all to do is to make sure that you write down how quickly you're going to achieve this. So when I when you do this is how quickly are you actually going to achieve this dollar amount? And I would encourage you all to do this faster than you think. So if you think it's going to take you 15 years, how do you do it in five? How do you do it in five years? If you got a big start, how do you do it in two years? How do you do it in three? Because you're only five years away from anywhere you want to be. It will acquire different changes in your life. Yes, absolutely. Will change different sacrifices? Yes. We have to learn different things. Absolutely. We will. But the goal is to get a get a, a game plan down in a model so that you understand what you're doing with your money. Remember, you're always spending money. It's just do I spend it on things or do I spend it on assets? And then how much do I spend on each? And that becomes the kind of gift that you can have. So what are your beliefs about money? How how can you bring those? systematic beliefs, systemic beliefs that are there that come up so you can have an understanding of what those are. How do you understand that? What's your 4% rule or 5% or 6% or passive income number? What vehicle is going to get you there? And then how quickly do you want to achieve this, right? I know people in our organization that have, you know, that become became single moms recently and they literally went out and studied a whole bunch of ways to put their estate plans together so that they figured out how to get passive income. It took them like eight months and they dedicated a lot of their extra time to, to learn this. And now they're generating passive income from it. It's nothing that anybody else couldn't do. All of this is. It's all for us. To, it's a big playground out there. We can play in a whole bunch of different ways. But make sure how quickly you're going to achieve this is set in motion. And after you start laying this out, you'll see the patterns of where you were spending money what really matter to you? Because if you say freedom matters to you the most, which a lot of people will say that freedom matters more than anything, I would challenge people on that because if freedom really mattered to you, then how you spent your money would be showing up. Meaning that instead of buying things, you'd be buying freedom, which is spending money on assets, spending money on, on people, if you will, or taking money aside. Remember, rich is money that's spent, wealth is money that's not seen. Thank you for joining us for this bonus episode of Business Meets Spirituality. To get free resources to help with your growth in 2022, go to adamhergenrother.com slash resources. Again, that's adamhergenrother.com slash resources.
And don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.